Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. If you look at your prayer life, it's probably similar to most of our prayer lives. Our prayer lives, you know, we, we praise God in them, and we acknowledge His good work, and we ask for forgiveness, and we also ask Him for things, right? We ask him for healing. We ask him for comfort. We ask him for, uh, for financial help. And those are all good things to ask for. Sometimes it gets very frustrating in our prayer life, doesn't it? When you ask for the same thing over and over again and God just, he doesn't answer, or obviously <laughs> the answer is no if he hasn't said yes yet. Sometimes he says wait, which might be more infuriating than no. But sometimes, if God says no, I still want to know why. You want to know why? I love knowing why. God also doesn't give us the why often. Why did I get sick? Why did my family member get sick? Why did I lose my job? Why are my finances the way they are? Why is there war? Why is there suffering? Why did this person die? Oh my goodness, I just went on uh, Facebook this morning again. I shouldn't have done that. I went on Facebook this morning. I found one of my former students who had gotten married, had two kids. Uh, her husband was found dead, 26 years old. Why? Why? I want to know why. And sometimes God doesn't give me the why right now. And sometimes God doesn't give me the why in 10 years. And it's hard. I understand that impulse. I don't know about you guys, this has been a really, actually, this is the start of the new week, so praise God, I'm hoping no weirdness is going to happen this week. Last week was really weird every single day, nothing but weirdness, wall-to-wall weirdness. You can ask about me later, about it later. I'll only give you Tuesday. Tuesday, I'm like, man, yeah, first two days were really weird. I'm going to go to this pastor's meeting, and I'm going to enjoy that, and I'm going to be refreshed and renewed in prayer. Jason knows where this is going. No, no, that's not what it was. We were supposed to read a book and, and, and discuss the book about church and, and all this stuff and pray for each other. But one of the, the pastors was, was like, we've got to talk about the war in Israel. And I was like, do we? Do, do we really? Yes, we do. And what are you guys going to say to your congregations? And I say, well, as Christians, the first thing we need, need to do is we need to affirm the humanity of everyone involved. Because if you don't do that, then hate starts seeping into our hearts and you start saying uh, racist things or anti-Semitic things about entire people groups rather than talking about the issues at hand. Uh, And then you also need to acknowledge how complex the situation is and that this has been a conflict going on for 70 years or more, right? We We need to acknowledge those things first. And of course, that was not well received by one member of the group who continued for the next three hours to tell us why we were wrong to even think those things. And uh, I got to tell you, I was uh, frustrated and arguing and then deciding not to argue and then hearing things that I had to argue back again. And, uh, and I'm just like, hey, we have to affirm the humanity of people first, that everyone involved in this is made in the image of God and that Jesus Christ shed his blood for them before we move on to anything else. Can we agree on that? No. <laughs> Can we agree that war crimes are never a good thing? No, we can't agree on that. Oh, my goodness. I was so frustrated, but you know what? If it was another topic, I would be in the same place because I want to know why. They wanted to fix, he wanted to come up with a definitive answer of 70 years of conflict, and uh, I'm not smart enough to come up with 70 years of conflict uh, solutions. But 
I want to know why. I want solutions. I want answer. I call out to God and I say, I want to know why. I want solutions. I want answers. Don't you? So in light of how difficult this world is, the darkness and struggles we all face in our own lives and the darkness and struggle we face in the world out there, which has real-life consequences here, what should we ask God for? What should we be praying to God for? I'm kind of excited to look at this text because as I was going through it, what Paul decides to pray for the Ephesians and what I think we should be praying for ourselves and what I will be praying for us as a congregation, it's a, it's, it's a prayer request I can honestly say I have never prayed for in my life. And as a pastor who's been pastoring and doing ministry for you know, 23 years, uh, I've never seen this prayer request come through in the prayer requests that you can do. And by the way, if you need a prayer request, they're in the back of the, the chairs, fill one out, put it in the offering or the prayer request thing. We'll be praying for you, okay? But I've never seen this one come through. Let's read uh, this brief text here that Paul gives us in verse 15 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, so what does he pray for? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul, he says He's praying for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that God, he uses a weird metaphor, opens the eyes of your heart and gives you revelation from the spirit of wisdom. He's praying that God, the Holy Spirit, opens the eyes of their heart. The heart in the Bible is your innermost self, your innermost who makes you, you. That is what your heart is. It's your innermost self. And he's saying, I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, opens up the eyes of your heart, which is kind of a weird metaphor. You know, your heart doesn't have eyes. He knows that. But he's saying your innermost self, I pray that the, your innermost self is able to see clearly. What does he want people to see clearly? Having the, verse 18, have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us? Who believe. He wants to open up the eyes of the believers so that they have a revelation, so that they can clearly see, so that they can have a vision of their future good life that they have with Jesus. He wants them to see it right now in midst of the conflict, in midst of the difficulties. Remember, they live in the totalitarian, there we go, Roman Empire. One of those evil empires that's ever existed. They live in the midst of this. And now that they're believers, they can see really how bad it is and how poorly treated everyone is. And how Rome rules with an iron fist that is uh, based on abuse of other individuals and really built on slavery. 
They could see how evil this is. And in the moment of that, what does Paul say? I pray that you understand the moment right now what God's doing. No, he says, I pray that God enlightens your hearts, that he opens the eyes of your hearts so that you can see the future glory that you have with Jesus. He uses the word hope. And unfortunately, that word we use now, ah, we kind of miss, well, we don't use it in a biblical way. When Paul's using hope, he's talking about expectation. When we use hope, we're usually talking about wishful thinking, right? I hope my team wins. I hope my candidate wins. When Paul talks about hope, he's talking about expectation that you can know will happen. I hope the sun will rise tomorrow. I hope Christmas comes this year. It will. It's expectation. I hope Jesus is going to come and make all things new. Yes, he will. Paul's talking about the glorious inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ who works his power for the good of you and me, his people, those who've trusted in Christ Jesus. That expectation, that that glory that he's talking about, it's the new heaven and new earth. One day King Jesus will return and he will remake this earth. He will remake heaven as well. And the former things will pass away, and this world will finally be what it ought to be, not the way it currently is. That is our hope, that one day, like Jesus was resurrected before us, we too will be resurrected, have glorified bodies, and live in the new heaven and new earth the way things ought to be, not the way they currently are. And Paul is saying, my prayer request for you Ephesians right now is that God, the Holy Spirit, will give you a vision of the good future you have with Jesus. How should we be praying? What should we be asking God for? We should be asking that God will give us a vision of the good future that we have in Jesus Christ through God the Holy Spirit. And then he says, whoa, wow. And and the power, verse 19, the power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus will make it happen. And Paul's prayer request, my prayer request, our prayer request today is that God will give us supernatural insight into the good future we have with Jesus. What's this like? Well, anyone ever have to get dental work done before? Uh, You ever see that needle that they put in your mouth? Tiny little thing. No way! It's like the biggest needle in the world. And you're like, that could go right through my face on the the way to the other side. It's crazy. And what does the doctor do when they they come and they have to give you the injection? They're like, okay, here's the needle, everyone. Look at the... No, that's not what they do. What do they do? They hide it. You're like, okay, we're about to get started. They treat you like, you know, a pet or something, right? They're like, okay, everything's fine. And if you can just open wide so I can... And you're like... Why do they hide it? Because they don't want to give you a vision of your terrible future of getting that injection. My suggestion for dentists out there, I don't know if there's any here, listen to me, and I'm not a dentist, but I think what would probably be more useful than merely hiding the, uh, the syringe, the needle, is to be, start it off real quick, like, hey, what are all your favorite foods? Right? You know, people say, oh, steak and... and uh, I don't know, they they list off apples, right? They list off all sorts of things, right? Show them a picture of that and say, hey, we're going to do a procedure. It's not going to be the most fun thing in the world, but 
This will allow you to keep your teeth so you can eat those things in the future and enjoy them for years to come. Hmm, okay, don't show them the needle yet. Still do the thing where you, you know, right? But, but give them a vision of why you're going through this in the moment so the pain seems less and it seems like, okay, I can endure this. I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's praying that God will give us a vision of the glorious new heaven and new earth where Jesus himself will wipe away every tear as we just sang. Grace and I didn't coordinate that. Great job. (sighs) More evidence that God the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. We didn't coordinate that one at all. And I was like, yes, yes, that's in there. One day Jesus will wipe away our tears. There will be no more tears of sorrow. And he's given us this glorious vision of the future. Um, A little more personal. Years ago in our previous house, we, uh, we decided to redo our kitchen. And uh, it was in pretty bad case. The house was, what, 120, 120 years old, let's say. 120-year-old farmhouse, right? So not really well-maintained. And so we pulled off all the tile. We had to, to level the, uh, the whole kitchen. Like, it was this whole job. It was this whole thing. And of course, when did we do this? Did we do this in nice weather? No, we did this in the middle of winter. And so when I was uh, having to go out to the garage to cut things, it's like 20 degrees and snowing. I had the garage door closed. I had a, a wet saw in the garage so that I could cut all the tile. Okay. The problem with 20 degree weather with a wet saw is that the water in the wet saw freezes. So I had a little heater right up next to the wet saw to, to melt out the ice so that I could go and make the hundreds of cuts that I needed to do this. Right. And why was I able to endure this for weeks on it? I take off a couple of days of work to finish the job. Why did I endure that? Because my wife told me I had to. No, <laughs> no, no. Because we had a vision of the end product. Ah, wow. We could keep the end in sight so I could endure the the frigidness outside trying to do this. Ah, actually, all we did was close the the dishwasher and then, ah, it looks so much better. (laughs) That's all we did is close it. Ah, look how much better. (laughs) We were able to endure. We need to pray that God will give us supernatural insight to our future with Jesus. We do. It helps us endure. It helps us to have joy. It helps us to look forward to our good future that we have. Think about the civil rights. Let's go back in time. Think about the civil rights movement, which is still going on to this day. But but think about the civil rights movement. Why were so many men and women leaders and peaceful protesters, why were they willing and able to endure financial ruin? to endure social hatred, to endure physical abuse, to endure imprisonment, and even to endure death. Why? Because they had a vision of the future. They did. I think empowered by God, especially if you read a lot of the, uh, of the first primary documents from the civil rights activists, you read this and they knew that history was tilting towards justice, that God was on their side, that God had created all people. There was one blood and one people that everyone was made in God's image and therefore had human dignity. They had a vision for the future. I know you've heard it a thousand times, but it's worth reading again. Mark, oh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s 
I have a dream speech. He ended it this way. And now the dream was before this speech, but oh my goodness, after the speech, the dream was reignited. The vision that God gave civil rights activists continued to burn. At the end of his speech, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, and when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We pray for God to give us supernatural insight into our good future with Jesus. We have to, so we can endure the things of today. And the civil rights movement understood if it doesn't happen today, then it will happen tomorrow. Let's jump back further in time. Nazi Germany, if you uh, understand the history of what was going on with the church, is as the Nazis and Adolf Hitler were coming into power, they started promoting a a version of the church that they liked. You know what they called it? It's an insidious name. Positive Christianity. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Positive Christianity. I heard someone recently say, we need a positive Christianity. Like, Mm, not using that term. (laughs) Positive Christianity, right? And positive Christianity was just whatever they wanted to talk about, uh, including changing the lyrics of Silent Night to be talking about Hitler and not about Jesus. Horrifying, horrifying. But in the midst of that, all the churches didn't just cave in and say, I guess this is what we're going to have to do. No, there was the faithful church or the confessing church that stood up and said, no, we will not bow down. We won't. We won't put up your flags. We will not give in. And a sermon that Paul Schneider wrote in his sermon, knowing that there were operatives sitting in his congregation speaking against the Nazi machine, speaking against the anti-Semitism he almost concluded his sermon with this. He said, I would rather die for my faith than live a cowardly and cultured life with the rest of the world. For nowhere is it said that God will allow us in all circumstances here to live the little span of earthly life without going through loss of money, property, honor, life and limb, wife and children. Even more, such sorrows must come upon the Christian at times. But the Lord brings the little boat of the church through the stormy seas of human events, which must grow calm at the word of Jesus. Shortly after this sermon was delivered, he was arrested. In 1938, he was the first Protestant pastor to die in a concentration camp for standing up against him. But how could Paul Schneider say this? How could he stand up against it? It's because he knew. He knew. He had a vision of eternal life. He had a a vision of his good future with the Lord Jesus Christ, that if it doesn't happen today, it's going to happen tomorrow. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, it's going to happen the day after that. And if it doesn't happen the day after that, it's going to happen the day after that. But one day, King Jesus will come, and he will make it right, and I am on his side, even if the rest of the world isn't because there is a good future, because he had a vision of the new heaven and the new earth coming from the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood for all who believe. We must pray that God gives us a vision of the good future we have with King Jesus. We have to, so that we can endure the difficulties 
of today. Now, if you're anything like me, or the guy I spent Tuesday arguing with for three hours, oh, oh, sorry, um, hold on. You might be asking yourself, well, wait a minute. Why, you know, God's all powerful. Why doesn't he tell us right now? Right, why doesn't God give us insight to life and difficulty now? He could tell us why we're enduring things right now. <sighs> yeah, Paul doesn't go there, but I suspect there's, there's two reasons. There's probably more. One is I think that we're not mature enough to understand what God's doing in our lives and the world around us. It would be like me trying to teach my children the tax code or calculus. They, don't under, they won't be able to understand it. One day, they will. They will have the maturity. They'll have the intellect and the capacity to learn those things. I think that's one reason. The other reason is I think we are too close to the situation to see what it really is. I do. I think often we are too close to be able to fully understand it, and it's only the matter of time and maturity that we could come back, and then we can finally look back and say, ah, this is what God was doing. And that might be in the life to come. By way of analogy, I play this game when we're waiting with my kids. I'll pull out my phone and I'll Google some picture and I'll blow it way up on the phone. And then I'll say, all right, guys, ready? Guess what it is? And I flip it around and the first kid that guess it, guesses it wins. And, you know, it's great at doctor's offices where they're trying to, like, keep it down because they're like, ah! All right, they love us. It's a great game. Let's play it real quick right now. What do you think that is? It's a car. Yeah, what kind of car? It is not a Porsche. It's not a Mercedes. If you were here last week, Aaron is watching the kids in the back. This is his yellow Lamborghini. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's this? What kind of tree? Oh, yeah, good guess. Good job. All right. It's an oak. Wow. The person in there is to scale. All right. Guard your hearts. This one, just seriously. Oh, what in the world is that? <laughs> oh, wow, okay, all right. I should have zoomed in further, but it's an elephant trunk. Oh, it's just awful. Now, of course, if we zoomed into the microscopic level and I told you it's a trunk, you'd be like, what kind of trunk? Is it a tree trunk? Is it the trunk of the Lamborghini? Do Lamborghinis have trunk? I bet you Lamborghinis don't have trunks. I don't even know. Uh, do, uh, do, is it an elephant trunk? Is it, is it a tree trunk? I don't know. The point is, is when we are in the moment, it's hard to understand things. But with a little bit of time and a little bit of perspective, we can see them. And I suspect that's why God doesn't initially say, okay, here's my entire plan and this is what's going on right now. But if we can see the goodness that he's done in our lives in the past, the love he has for us, Jesus died for your sins. Remember the parable of the 99 and the one sheep? If you were the only reason Jesus had to come and die on the cross for your sins, he would have done so. Just you. That's how much he loves you. We look at the past and say, I know that God loves me through Christ Jesus. You look at the future. If you can have a glimpse of the future and say, one day this King Jesus who loves me so much, he will come back and he will make everything right. Justice will reign. My tears will be dried and things will be the way they ought to be. If we can have a glimpse, if we can have a glimmer of that good life, 
that allows us to endure the confusion and the darkness and the heartaches that we face today. What does Paul pray for the Ephesians? What should we be praying for? Well, today, I'm praying that God the Holy Spirit gives you a supernatural vision of the good future you have with Jesus Christ. Verse 17 of chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. If you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a good future. No matter how dark it seems now, the future is bright. Life will get better. If not today, then tomorrow. So that is going to be my prayer for you. That's going to be our pra- my prayer for us. I hope that's your prayer for yourselves and for your family, that God will give you a vision. But you know what the nice thing is, is that we've got 2,000 years of Christian history under our belt. There are thinkers who have gone before us, and even better than thinkers, in my opinion, is we have artists that God has gone before us. Uh, you can travel down to the city and you can see, you can actually see Starry Night in MoMA. You can. I couldn't, I, we went there just on a fluke and I, there it was, Starry Night. Wow, praise God. You can see artists' renditions of beauty in heaven and, and be reminded, wow, God is here. This morning, I figured what we'll do is, uh, I'll just read you a few passages from some books, some authors. And maybe God the Holy Spirit will work through those to give you the vision of the good future that we have. So first up, of course, is The Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm sorry, this is like right at the end of the book and it will spoil it for you if you haven't read it. But here at the end of his time in Middle Earth, Frodo the halfling who is tortured and tormented by the task that he was given He's finally on a ship sailing into the west. And Tolkien wrote, And the ship went out into the high sea and passed on into the west, until at last on a night of rain, Frodo smelled a sweet fragrance on the air, and he heard the sound of singing that came over the water. And then it seemed to him that as in his dream the house of Bombadil, the gray rain curtain turned all to silver glass and was rolled back. And he beheld white shores, and beyond them, a far green country under a swift sunrise. And then C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia. If you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, I'd encourage you to do so. It's a phenomenal book. But it's uh, children from our actual world go over to a fantasy realm where they meet Aslan who is Jesus in lion form. And here at the end of all things in the last battle, something has happened and they're not quite sure what has happened, but it's wonderful and it's glorious. It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think it like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window, 
that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real ones. Yet at the same time, they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, in a story you have never heard but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If ever you get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right foot on the ground and neighed. And then he cried, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Come further up and come further in. And then later on, then Aslan turned to them and said, you do not look yet so happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leapt and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The school term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. If not today, then tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, the day after that, one day King Jesus is going to come back and make all things right. Now back to nonfiction. Uh, this is uh, the book One Blood by John Perkins, who was a civil rights activist. He's well within his 90s at this point, And he, uh, the subtitle of the book is Parting Words to the Church on Race and Love. And it's a, it's a short book, but it's a phenomenal book. I would commend everyone to read it. But this is how he closes his book. It won't happen in my lifetime, but I can see it coming. When it does, I will be among the great cloud of witnesses around the throne of God. I will mingle my voice with the voices of Wilberforce, King Jr., Skinner, and a multitude of others shouting, Hallelujah! His kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. That will be a glorious day. Until then... Every one of us has a crucial part to play in this story of reconciliation. I know what my part is. I'll preach the message 
of biblical reconciliation until he calls me home. I will stand on the wall to encourage and remind others that this great work is not in vain. I will tell the story until my last dying breath. That's my part. What is your part? What is it that God has specifically gifted you to do in this battle for biblical reconciliation? Whatever it is, I beg you to do it as if unto God until your last day. My physical body is getting tired. I imagine this may be how the Apostle Paul felt when he said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I feel like that on a lot of days and it's at these times that I reflect on what it will be like to see my mother. A lot of people say that she was a Fannie Lou Hamer type of woman. My mother would challenge the plantation owners if they were unfair. She died because her body was too weak to nurse me a seven-month-old baby. She died that I might live. I look forward to crossing the threshold of heaven and rushing into her arms. I'll tell her that I picked up the mantle of reconciliation and ran hard until my day was done. I want to know that she's proud of me. I want her to say, you did well, son. Then I'll go looking for my two sons, Spencer and Wayne, It's going to be some kind of reunion, that great camp meeting in the sky where we'll see Jesus and touch the face of God. Yes, my steps are a little slower now, but my spirit is energized. I still have joy. I am full of hope for the future. We will get there. We will get there together. We will get there as one. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. We must pray for a vision a supernatural vision of the life to come, of the good future that we have with King Jesus, if not today and tomorrow. And finally, one last reading from the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21, John wrote this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are true and worthy. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. And then later on in verse 22, in chapter 22, verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let those who hear say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And John concludes in verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come.
we need to pray that God will give us supernatural insight to the good life, the good future we will have with Jesus. If not today, then soon. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our hearts. Give our inner soul enlightenment. We have read from fiction and nonfiction and I pray that those are just mere glimpses that can be offered us of the new life to come in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for those here who are hurting and their life is incredibly difficult and they pray and they pray and they don't have answers and they pray and they pray and they don't have understanding. Father, I pray that in the midst of that pain and torment, you give us a vision of the new heaven and new earth when King Jesus comes and makes all things right and makes all things new. I pray for us as individuals that we will see Jesus high and lifted up in our heart of hearts. That we will see the world as it ought to be, not the way it currently is. I pray for us as a congregation that in this moment you will help us to see and understand our good future with King Jesus. Holy Spirit, please give us that vision. Give us that supernatural insight so that we can continue to endure. We can continue to be faithful in this dark and fallen world so that we continue to love the unlovable that we can continue to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, so that we can continue to find joy in the midst of sorrow, so that we can continue to comfort those who have no comfort, so that we can continue to give hope to those that have no hope. Holy Spirit, help us to see that in Christ Jesus, our future is good. It is in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.